earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me today on A Word from the Word. Whether you're in your car, elsewhere on your mobile device, listening with family or friends, or catching the podcast, today will be the final installment in our series, Faith's Fundamentals, Building a Solid Belief System. And today I'm concluding with a somewhat elusive, sometimes baffling, even mysterious subject for some, but nonetheless a very significant subject, prayer. Now, please don't change the station or turn the program off. I can imagine what might be going through your mind because it's gone through my mind as well. Friends, what I don't want to do today is make anyone feel guilty, and I promise you I will not. In fact, my promise to you is that today's finale will actually offer us some handles on prayer that'll be very useful. Plus, I'm not going to suggest my my approach to prayer is exhaustive or even the final word on the subject. So, I'd like us to consider today's program a helpful tutorial. I'm calling our finale, part 13, Prayer, a GPS to our relationship with God. Well, friends, I dare say that we've all at one time or another prayed a prayer like this. Lord, thank you for this day, and uh, forgive me for all my sins, Lord, and help me to get that job, Lord, uh, of course, if it's your will, and please help John's cold to get better. Lord, help me not to catch it, and oh yeah, please bless all the missionaries, Lord. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. I've prayed like that way back when, in the early days of my discipleship. Maybe you've even prayed like that. Well, as I promised, let's take a guilt-free look at prayer, with our starting point being a prayer in Scripture that I hope will provide some handles that we can grab onto to help shape our prayer life and give it the backbone we've actually longed for it to have. And let me just begin by saying that both our Old and New Testament words for prayer are full-orbed. In other words, they encompass a lot like praying, interceding, petitioning, intervening, entreating, urgently appealing, supplications, beseeching, wishing, making our requests known, agreeing with, etc. And as a general rule, friends, the most common assumption and understanding in Scripture regarding prayer is that it is fundamentally interacting with God and exchanging or switching human wishes for God's wishes as he imparts faith to us. 
Additionally, at times it seems that it's not so much the content of our prayers that matter, but their goal or aim. And yet, the content of our prayers is important to God. Well, friends, let's look at a prayer that is probably the most familiar prayer in all the Bible, and I'll bet many of us have memorized it. It's often called the Lord's Prayer, and it's in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. But first, let's note the importance and significance of the four verses that lead up to this prayer. Because before we even begin praying, there are three attitudes we should be enlightened to. Verses 5 through 8 tell us, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. And of course we all know who Jesus is referring to here, right? The Pharisees. The verse goes on, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The first thing I want us to observe is that the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6 is sandwiched between chapters 5 and 7. Chapters 5 through 7 record Jesus' teaching commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 introduces us to a string of phrases beginning with the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, etc. As westernized believers, we tend to think that blessed is equal to receiving a blessing from God. But this isn't really how people in the first century saw it. And Jesus was not identifying something we get, but rather a condition of our soul, our inner person, if you will, that already exists. And what's already existed was a unique oneness with God because we are in a relationship with him. This blessedness, or a state of bliss as it may be called, exists regardless of our human condition, a state the Jewish religious leaders at the time were clueless about, because their way was to look down on and scorn the poor and disadvantaged around them. They thought they were better than everyone else. So, friends, in the preamble to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 5, pictures the first of three attitudes— an attitude of sincerity. It says you are not to be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite originated in the Greek plays. It's a theater term. It pictures an actor who uses masks to portray one or more characters in a play. Today we use the expression two-faced, someone who puts on a mask to cover up their real self. You know, acts one way outwardly, but inwardly is somebody else. They project a false impression. We also use the word pharisaical to mean the same thing. You see, friends, an attitude of sincerity helps us stay real, not only before God, but before others. This made me think of Luke 18 and the account of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Notice how it begins. 
to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner." So Jesus remarked, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, the Pharisees' prayer revealed insincerity. Looking down on others with a contemptuous attitude reveals insincerity. So let's be sincere, transparent, and not hypocritical in our prayers. The second attitude I see in these verses leading up to the Lord's Prayer is an attitude of submissiveness. Notice in verse 6 our prayers are to be without fanfare, without outward show, but humble. The picture painted here is praying in secret, trusting that God who sees your secret prayer will reward you. So our first attitude is an attitude of sincerity. Our second is an attitude of submissiveness. And finally, the third attitude I noticed is an attitude of straightforwardness. Notice in verse 7, our prayers are to be honest, having meaning. If they're meaningless to us, why should they be meaningful to God? One translation says, do not use meaningless repetition. Another says, saying things that mean nothing. Remember my opening fake prayer? That mishmash of disjointed phrases? No forethought, no depth, no attempt at real communion with God. Just an exercise to fulfill a duty and get it over with. Luke records a condensed version of this prayer in Luke 11. There the prayer begins, When you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. We might think we should say these actual words. Growing up in a mainstream denomination, I did just that. I prayed this prayer verbatim every Sunday at the end of the service with the congregation led by the pastor. There's nothing wrong with praying these words as long as we realize Jesus' intent here went deeper. The word say in our English Bibles is a multifaceted word with a lot of meaning in the original language. It contains the ideas of uttering definite words that are connected and have significance. Words that are collected and organized into a whole. John Bunyan once said, Let your heart be without words, rather than your words be without heart. Now, friends, I'm sure all of you are familiar with Legos, right? Because Luke uses this Greek word, Lego. With Legos, you lay them out in front of you and in an organized way, build something with them. Friends, isn't that the same with praying? We lay out our words before God in an organized way and build a prayer. In the process, we also build a relationship. We shouldn't rush through it simply just to fulfill an obligation. 
I'm sure you've heard of the store called Build-A-Bear. Wouldn't it be cool to have a store called Build-A-Prayer? You know, a trained employee could guide customers through a path where we building blocks together to create a prayer at the end and then take it home. Just kidding, but that would be kind of cool, right? Friends, I'd like us to see that the actual Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is first a prayer with a pattern. In other words, it has structure. It's fashioned by a mind that is organized and thoughtful, someone whose intention is to pray. My take is that Jesus' objective here was to show us a life-giving pattern for abundant communion with God. Each phrase is an invitation to be specific and personal. A youth once approached her Sunday school teacher and asked, How can I have a deeper prayer life? The teacher replied, Say the Lord's Prayer. Then after a pause added, But take an hour to say it. Seen as a blueprint or a template for our prayers, notice that this prayer begins appropriately with praise, including recognizing God's holiness. It then goes on to acknowledge submission to God's will, then follows several personal petitions. Finally, it closes with praise again, this time reminiscent of 1 Chronicles 29.11. Friends, the Lord's Prayer is not only first a prayer with a pattern, but secondly, a prayer with priorities. Its pattern is not haphazard, but constructed with a purpose in mind. Interestingly, just 20 verses later, in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, friends, I propose the goal of the Lord's Prayer is to teach us to first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then our other basic needs will be met. The body of the Lord's Prayer basically outlines six petitions. The first three focus on God and honoring him as our first priority. The last three spotlight our own needs. Then the prayer closes with praise as it opened, acting like bookends. A message on a church sign once said, If God gave us the same priority we give him, would we be saved? The body of the Lord's Prayer also illuminates us to just how it is a prayer with priorities. The first word in this prayer is our, in verse 9. The communal aspect of this prayer is then reinforced by the repetition of us, verses 11, 12, and 13. And so, our and us, right at the outset, make a conscious Make us conscious that A, we are not to be selfish. Instead, recognize we are a vital part of a community, a commune, if you will, to borrow from the 1960s generation. The church is a worshiping community and a governing community. We are not just a coalition of loose cannons. John Wesley once remarked, Christianity is essentially a social religion, and to turn it into a solitary one is indeed to destroy it. A radio teacher I admire said, we need to bring back real fellowship, not people bouncing off one another like marbles in a cathedral. 
The Apostle Paul captured this idea in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Perhaps you may recall way back when, when former President Bill Clinton spoke to some 4,000 pastors at Willow Creek Church, invited by their pastor, Bill Hybels. During the question and answer session, Hybels tried to get Clinton to see that his sin affected his family, his cabinet, and ultimately the country. But Clinton kept focusing on how the scandal and its aftermath affected him personally. In today's culture, all too often individual fulfillment is emphasized. All that matters is that individuals find themselves. You see, friends, priority living for us Christ followers means being others-centered and resisting our natural tendency to be self-centered. As a prayer with priorities, the Lord's Prayer continues to teach us, first, A, we are not to be selfish, and B, in Matthew 6, 9, we are not to be sinful. Hallowed be your name. This can be worded, may your name be holy. Now, that's a quirky way to say something, isn't it? It's like saying, may the circle be round, or may the square have four sides. My take is that Jesus' intent is to get us to recognize and treat God's name as holy. We all know God is innately holy. Nothing we can say or do will ever change that. But perhaps consciously recognizing and consciously treating God's name as holy will have the beneficial effect that leads us to consider the question, are there things in our lives that dishonor God and not bring him glory? How about, do we live in a way that through us, God inspires others to reference him? By acknowledging God as holy, we actually challenge ourselves to live holy. So friends, A, we are not to be selfish, B, we are not to be sinful, and now C, we are not to be slothful. In other words, idle or lazy. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We would do well, friends, to occasionally take stock and ask, is God's kingdom and his concerns our priority? The Apostle Peter makes a somewhat mystifying statement in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, okay, here it comes. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Whoa, wait a minute here, Peter. Are you saying I can live in such a way that I can hasten the coming of the Lord? The answer may be yes, friends. D, we are not to be sullen. In other words, dismal or gloomy. Verse 11 has the petition, give us this day our daily bread. Friends, you and I have come to know God as our provider. We sometimes sing Jehovah Jireh. Actually, it should be Yahweh Yireh, as the Hebrew says. 
Haven't we all found that God not only provides for us, but he also provides through us? So the questions we might consider could be, are we vessels God can use? What does trusting in God's provisions say to others around us? Recognizing our daily dependence on God also happens to teach us compassion for the poor. Next, E, we are not to be stubborn. In other words, resistant. Verse 12 tells us, Forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Listen, friends, only the forgiving are forgiven. Sorry, I can't candy coat this fact. Forgiveness in this prayer is not the forgiveness that once led us to salvation, but the forgiveness that must occur between each of us relationally in the church, in the community. You see, friends, the Lord's Prayer is not only first a prayer with a pattern and second a prayer with priorities, but it is thirdly a prayer with a price. Isn't it interesting that of all the statements in this prayer, forgiveness is the only matter Jesus refers back to and reinforces its truth in verses 14 and 15? Unforgiveness comes with a price. If we want mercy from God, we must show mercy to our brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's not a suggestion. Just one chapter before the Lord's Prayer, chapter 5, one of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This reminded me of Micah 5.8. He has shown you, O man, or O woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. James 2.13 says, Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Friends, don't get out of your car if you're in it. Don't get out of your seat if you're somewhere else and are harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else. Repent and confess it to God immediately, and then work at reconciling with other people. Please, friends, do not leave a trail of unreconciled relationships in your wake. Don't let them follow you to the grave. How will we ever lead unbelievers to be reconciled to God if we can't live in reconciled relationships with our brothers and sisters? As a prayer with a price, the Lord's Prayer tells us that, A, we are not to be sidetracked. Verse 13 says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Temptations sidetrack us. Let's take our cue from Hebrews 12.1, friends. Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God promises to provide a way out for us. Memorize 1 Corinthians 10.13. Are we looking for that way out? <clears throat> and as a prayer with a price, the Lord's Prayer finally tells us that, B, we are not to be short-sighted. Verse 13 concludes with, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, are we fixing our eyes on Jesus and his kingdom now and in the future? Or are we being drawn to the gratifications of the moment? 
Proverbs 4.25 says, Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your feet from evil. Perhaps a fitting close today is reminding us where we began. We began with you are not to be like the hypocrites. In every way possible, the Lord's Prayer takes us on a journey, bidding us to be sincere, submissive, and straightforward in our walk with God. So friends, after this program ends, why not take a few minutes in prayer and be sure that you are living a reconciled life with God and a reconciled life with others. Amen. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program and the finale in our series. I hope it's been both edifying and challenging, and it would be my honor to be praying for you. Let's rethink our pursuits and pursue a life of prayer. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. Please also consider joining a Word from the Word support team. I'd be truly grateful. It's listeners like you that help keep this program on the air. Thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 